Heavenly Father, we just honor you with tonight's Torah share. And Lord, I just pray that all of us will experience an all of us will experience an identity transformation through the anointing. And Lord, may your trans may, may your anointing transform us, Lord God. And Lord, we just bless your holy name tonight. That we, I pray that all that are here in this room and all that are joining us online, Lord God, that you'll just that you'll perform a complete transformation in our character traits, Lord God, that we may experience the power of God coming into this Pentecost like never before. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Acts, and I want to talk to you about transformation. How many of you want to see transformation in your life? Amen. Amen. We all want to go higher and higher, don't we? None of us want to stay stagnant, and that's how, that's how God designed the human soul, that none of us should be stagnant, but we should always be moving from one glory to the next glory and always ascending. Amen? But God has given us free will. We can choose to ascend. We can choose to remain stagnant, or we can choose to descend. But my prayer is that through this holy teaching tonight, that all of us are going to be elevated to another place. Amen? Amen. So the key to your transformation is through going up. And one of the things that you see throughout this feast of Pentecost, in Hebrew it's called the Feast of Shavuot. Shavuot meaning weeks, Pentecost meaning the 50th, but it's the very same day. The very day in which God came down upon Mount Sinai, and, and gave the Ten Commandments, when God gave the Word of God to Israel on Mount Sinai, is the very same day, the same anniversary of when the Holy Spirit descended upon the 120 in the upper room. Amen? And again, in Greek, we call it Pentecost, meaning 50th. Moses called it Shavuot, and Shavuot means weeks, which is the very same day. Because after seven weeks, the, fifth, the next day was the 50th day, and that was the day in which the Spirit of God, dis, uh, that was the day in which God delivered the Ten Commandments to Israel. And Israel became a nation. So the key to your transformation, the first key, is that you go up. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but, and this is Jesus speaking, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity. And when He comes upon you, you shall receive power. Amen? How many of you are ready to receive power from upon high? Amen? Amen? That the Spirit of God will guide you in every single aspect of your life. That the Spirit of God will impart gifts to you, gifts of prophecy, gifts of evangelization, gifts, every miracle working power of, power of God moving in your life. Amen? Amen. So you shall receive power when the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I encourage you all, don't seek the gifts more than the person. Amen. Amen. I encourage you all to desire the gift, to earnestly desire the gifts. I encourage you all to ask the Holy Spirit for what gift He wants to give to you and and. But, I, but don't let the gift be your motive. Let relationship with the Holy Spirit be, be your motivation. Amen? Because that's what it's all about. When, when the Holy Spirit has you, guess what? All the gifts that you need will be part of you as well. Amen? Amen. And in verse 13 it says, When they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Can you say that with me? They went up to the upper room. And then it goes on to list, all the, list the, the 11 apostles. Then in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, this is Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, can you say suddenly? A sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire. 
distributed and resting on each one of them. The Spirit of God is going to come and rest upon each and every one of you. Amen? Amen. And things in your life are going to change when, 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 and things in your life are going to fully come. That means you're going to walk in the full manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You're going to walk in prophecy. You're going to walk in every good gift the Spirit of God wants to give to you. And it comes through being in one place, being in one accord, and, and being with one spirit with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And during this, during this season of Shavuot or Pentecost, during this season, the book of Ruth is read. Megillah Ruth, the scroll of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, I'm going to invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 1 with me. We're going to spend the rest of this evening, the next five hours, in the book of Ruth. Amen? Amen. Ruth chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And when you have it, please say Amen. Amen. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And that's the place where God wants us all to come into. Ruth is an example of a perfect convert. A woman that had converted from, from the idolat idolatrous practices of Moab, the nation that she came from, and making a total 180 degree turnaround, being fully converted to the God of Israel. Amen? A total turnaround. And she was determined to go all the way with God. And as much as Naomi, her mother-in-law, her, her former mother-in-law, tried to convince her to go back home to Moab after Ruth's husband had died, she refused to go. She, she says, where you go, where you, uh, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. She was determined, she was steadfast to go all the way with Naomi. And Naomi is a type of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is looking at each and every one of you, seek seeking those that will follow him every single step of the way. That every one of us has made a determination that Holy Spirit, where you go, I will go. When you say stop, I will stop. That I'm going to go with you every single step of the way and I will not stop until this journey is completed. Amen? Amen. And I hope that's your prayer as well, that you're going to go all the way with God. Amen. Orba only went part way with God and she turned around. Ruth was steadfast and determined, experienced a total con conversion, Yes. She's a, I would call her the feminine type of Abraham because Abraham was also a Gentile convert. Amen? And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, and the women said, is this Naomi? Now, like Ruth, you are not going to go only part way with God. You are going to go all the way with God. And that begins with all of us being in one accord in one place. Being in one place doesn't mean that you're only in the same physical place. You could be in different places physically, because the, the Lord is not speaking about geographic location, but He is speaking about where are we emotionally? Where are we spiritually? Are we united? Are we of the same vision? How many of you want to become the possession of the Holy Spirit? Amen? How many of you want to see works even greater than what, what took place on, at Azusa Street over 100 years Amen. ago. Amen. Amen. We want to see the power of God move in this generation like no generation, like no generation before this generation. This generation has not seen the power of God. This generation does not, what, does not know what it's like to see great signs and wonders. But that same anointing is going to return back to the earth. Amen. Amen. I remember the very first service I had been in where the anointing was present. I was, I was sitting, it was in a, heat, a miracle service. There were two ladies on either side of me. One was blind in one eye. The Lord restored her eyesight. Wow. The other lady on my other side, and I, um, 
she, she came in limping and one leg was shorter than the other. The, the shorter leg grew out during the service. Amen. And these are just a couple of the miracles that I had seen. There were so many miracles that had taken place. And I'm telling you that the power of God is real. Amen. 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 It's more real than, than, you, than, than you and I. And I, I so long for where we're going to tear down all these denominational walls. Where we don't care what, what ist you are, what denomination you are, whether you're a Methodist, Presbyterian, a Salvationist, whatever denomination you are, we're going to tear down these denominational walls and we're going to unite because we love Jesus. Amen. 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 We're going to unite because we, we love God. Amen. And like Ruth, we're going to go all the way with God. Amen. We just, all we have to do, the nice thing about our lives is we don't have to invent anything. We just follow the pattern of those that walk perfectly with God. And Ruth walked perfectly with God. Amen? Amen. There are many themes in the book of Ruth, but the one thing I want to bring out to you is from Ruth Rabbah 2.14. The purpose of Ruth is to teach how great is the reward of those who do deeds of kindness. The rewards to those that do great, that, for those that do deeds of kindness is so phenomenal. It's, it's not those that are religious. It's those that do deeds of kindness. Amen? Amen. And, this is, and this is the type of attitude, the type of heart, and the type of action that will bring an end-time revival in the earth. Amen? Where it's no longer just about me, myself, and, and, and my own family, but it's about everybody. Amen? Yeah. And one thing about Scripture, and I'm going to ask you a question. What do you want people to identify with you? When people hear Brother Ed, when they hear Sister Cheryl, when they hear when they hear your name, what how do you want what's the first thought you want to come to their mind? And that's a question I just want you to ponder. I'm not expecting you to answer the question. I think I know how many of you will answer the question. For some of you may say I'm an artist, another and others may say I'm an athlete, another may say I'm, I'm an author, another may say that I'm a, I'm a psalmist. You know what whatever it may be. But how do you want people to identify you even after you're gone? And, you know, some of us are perceived through our selfies on social media. And the, 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 beauty about, the beauty about selfies on social media is you can, show, you can show people the selfies that you want them to see. But that's not always the real you. And it's, it's through your attachment with others that you, that you are identified. Amen? Amen? So what do you attach yourself with? Who do you associate with? Now, as in the book of Ruth, who is the author of the book of Ruth? Samuel. Excellent. So I'll say it together. Thank you, Pastor Fowler. Samuel. Samuel is the author of the book of Ruth, and Samuel is connecting or, uh, Ruth to the Davidic dynasty. If there were no Ruth, there would be no, there would be no David. Day, Ruth was the one that God chose to become the great-grandmother of King David and to become an ancestress of King Mashiach, Christ Jesus himself. Amen? And in your life, you're going to find yourself identified in different ways. People are going to associate you with different things. When you're in school, you're called a student. When you're in the workplace, you're called a professional. You know, you're always known by different things. If you're a ministry, you're known by a ministerial title. But, but uh, it just depends on what position you are in life and where you are in your environment. But in Scripture, you need to pay very close attention to the subtleties in the description of different 
biblical figures. Amen? Amen. If they call a he, if they call a she. If they call a widow, if they call a blind person. Whatever they're called, you need to pay attention because the writer is bringing out a characteristic of that person. Amen? Amen. And, and what, the, the, what the prophets are bringing out are identifying marks of each person. So in your own life, I want you to think about how you, how you think people relate to you, what your identifying mark is, and what type of mark do you want to leave for future generations. How do you want your family to remember you? How do you want to be remembered? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Amen? Mm -hmm. Now, in, for example, if you look at Genesis 27.1, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. When Isaac was old and his eyes were, were dim, so that he could not see. So in this scripture, Isaac or Yitzah is identified as a person that's old and his eyes were dim. So what do you see? You see you're picturing a blind man, right? And then what does he do? He called Esau. So when we read this, we go, when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim and he could not see. Common. And the next part of the scripture says the same verse, and he called Esau his older son. It doesn't make sense the two parts of the verse don't flow together. Yeah. Do you all see that? Yeah. So it's like, I would say when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, he could not see, period. Then the next verse would say, he called Esau his son. But that's not what it does, that's not what Moses does here. It's like, it's a continuous, right? It's a continuous sentence. So what that tells us, we have to interpret scripture in context. So the second part of the verse is interpreted by the previous part of the verse. Amen? Amen? And the verse before it interprets what's in the next verse. So Isaac is blind, right? Mm -hmm. He called Esau. So what Moses is teaching us is that Isaac was blind to Esau's ways. Mm -hmm. Isaac was blind to Esau's motives. Mm -hmm. Isaac was blind to the, uh, to the fact that Esau did not want to repent. Isaac thought Esau was truly trying to do the right thing. But he was blinded and he, and he, could, he could not see. Amen? Amen? Now look at Genesis 25, verse 25. And it's speaking about Esau being born red. And it says, the, the first came forth red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they called his name Esau. And many of us read the scripture and think it sounds like a character from a Star Wars movie. And that's not, that's not the case. What, what Moses, because Moses is the author of the Torah, he's the author of the Pentateuch, he's the author of the Humash, all meaning the same thing, the first five books of the Bible. Amen? Yeah. He's showing us the character flaws of Esau. When he says he was red, what he's saying is that he was, he was born with, uh, with evil tendencies. He was born with a tendency to be easily angered. And guess what? David was also born with the same character flaw, with, with that ruddiness, with that attribute, well, it's not really, with, 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 with that tendency to become easily angered. But there was a great difference between David and Esau. Esau gave in to his murderous passions and became a murderer. In contrast, David subjugated his evil tendencies and turn his anger towards fighting the battles of God. Amen? Yeah. So, so we, have, we have, God has given each and every one of us free will that we can choose to go all the way with God, like Ruth did, and like David, or we can choose only to go to partly with God, or we can choose to refuse God and go our own way. Amen? 
And it's easy to go against God's will, but it's very difficult to go all the way with God. Amen? But with man, it's, it may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen? Remember when Jesus said that to his disciples, it's, 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 more, it's, e it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle yes. than a rich man to be saved? Don't think of rich man in terms of a person with tremendous material wealth. Think of a rich man as one that thinks they have everything. Mm -hmm. so, in, so I encourage you all to become like the poor man, meaning that I'm completely dependent upon God Amen. for everything. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, we, we often misinterpret the parables of Jesus, and we, we, we completely miss the point of what he's trying to say. And then we, we, we read all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we walk away thinking being rich is bad and being poor is good. But you, you have to remember, you have to read it in context. Jesus came to repair the breaches. Jesus came to correctly interpret the Torah. Amen? And, and in order, we must learn how to become poor in spirit. We must learn how to depend upon, depend upon God. We must learn how to let the Word of God be our lifeline and not our earthly earnings to become our lifeline. Amen? Amen. And through the, this scroll, you are going to see tremendous character transformations take place. And we're going to begin with, with Naomi's transformation. You know, we often skip over Naomi and go right into the story of Ruth because the scroll is called Ruth. Amen? It, it, it's, called, it's named right after the, the, the Ruth. But I want us to focus on Naomi because I think one of the real heroes, heroes or heroines in this book is Naomi, who was the mother-in-law. Amen. amen. So, and all the ladies said amen to that. So, amen. Ruth chapter 1, verse 2. I didn't hear Ed say amen to that one. So, Boaz was the hero too. So, Ruth chapter 1, verse 2. And so, we're going to see a transformation take place in the life of Ruth. It's going to be, it'll start with being positive, then it's going to be negative, then more negative, then it'll become positive again. Amen. Our walk with God is not just an upward, uh, you know, like a, a diagonal line going up. It's not like a direct relationship. As time progresses, your relationship gets better and better. It, it's more of ups and downs along the way. Amen? But overall, it should be an upward move. So in Ruth chapter 1, verse 2, reading from the RSV, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and, Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. We've been reading the same verse for the last three weeks. We're not going to even make it to chapter 4 tonight. So what do we see Naomi's name here? She's called, she's called <coughs> Wife Naomi. Can you say it with me? Wife Naomi. So she, she's already in the fullness of who, she's, of who she is. She, 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 she's married to a man named Elimelech. She's married to a judge in Israel. Her name, she's called, she's the wife of Naomi. She, her name is Naomi. She has two sons, Malon and, and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites, meaning that they were royalty in Bethlehem. And they were of the tribe of Judah, the very bloodline that Messiah would come through. The name Elimelech means let kingship come to me. I, I don't remember if I shared this last Thursday night at this service or if I shared it during the week at another service. Elimelech has two different interpretations. One interpretation, and this is the interpretation that I lean towards, and that is Elimelech's name meaning let kingship come to me, means that Elimelech was a selfish man, and all he cared about was himself and his own immediate family. And he demonstrated that in his name, because he, when his people needed him, he took his wife and two sons and they fled to Moab. They did not, 
he did not want to take care of, of, of the people in this town. The second interpretation of El Amalek, let kingship come to me, is prophetic in the sense that El Amalek was going to become the first king of Israel. And it fits, right? His name is El Amalek. It means let kingship come to me. So it was God's original plan. This is according to rabbinic commentary. It was God's original plan that El Amalek become the first king of Israel. But because he failed the test and he left his people in a time of need and fled to a neighboring country of Moab, guess what took place? He lost his destiny. Amen. Amen? And remember, the title for tonight's teaching is Experience Identity Transformation Through the Anointing. It's the anointing. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to bring transformation to you. Amen? Amen. So you, you may see yourself in a certain light. You may see yourself in a certain disposition. But God sees you in a different light. Amen? Amen. And we want to be conformed to the image of Christ in us. Amen? Because God said, let us make man in our image. So we want to be conformed to his image. Amen? So let's So that's Naomi. She 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 has it all together. The only thing going wrong here is that they left for Moab. So but so but and it looks like everything's good here. Then we get to verse five. And it says, And both Malon and Kilion died. So her, her husband's died already, so she's a widow, right? Now her, both her sons died. And the and so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Remember in verse 2, she's identified as wife, and she's identified as Naomi. What is she identified as in verse 5? The woman. The woman, exactly. Can you all say it with me? She's identified as the woman. What has taken place here is total loss of identity. Amen. She's been stripped of everything. She's lost her husband. She's, ten years later, she loses her two sons. And now she no longer has daughters-in-law because once her sons died, guess what? Their wives are no longer her daughters-in-law. Now they're just two girls. All right? So she's complete because, you know, every one of us comes to identify ourselves with something. You know, if you're, if you're if, 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 you know, after a, a woman gives birth and she has a child, she, she, her identity changes from then on, and now she's called mother. And she, and she takes pride in being called mother. And before that, she's gotten, she, she, she marries. So she takes pride in that she's become wife. But then what takes place when her husband dies and her sons die? She's completely stripped of her identity. And it doesn't happen to women only. Look at men that identify themselves with their career. They identify themselves with their accomplishments. They identify themselves with what's taking place in their career. But when their career is stripped away from them, whether through an economic downturn or whatever, but they're, 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 or through, any, you know, through whatever happens in life, guess what? And their career is stripped away from them. Guess what? That, that very thing they identified with has been taken away Amen. from them. And, and whether you're male or female, we, we, we can all experience a state of loss of total identity. Amen? And sometimes God will allow that to take place in our lives because He wants to take away the identity that we associate ourselves with and give us His identity for us. Amen? So Naomi has experienced a total loss of identity. Again, she's lost her husband, her two sons, and her two daughters-in-law. 
She is completely stripped of her identity. And this Megillah, or scroll, is a story of alienation, lost identity. But that's, that's the downside. The flip side is, it's also a journey of redemption and return. Amen? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God is bringing redemption and return in your life during this Feast of Shavuot. You don't sound too excited yet. So let's go to verse 8. Now she's calling Naomi again. But Naomi, because now she's identifying with her with the two her two daughters, and, and she's identifying them with them again as her daughters-in-law, even though they were no longer her daughters-in-law. And But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And then in verses 19, 19 through 22, I'll skip later on in the verse. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Look at your neighbor and say, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Sometimes you're going to go out full like the rich man. But guess what? God's going to bring you back to a place where you're empty. doesn't mean He's going to strip away all your finances. But what it does mean is that God will humble us. Or He'll allow situations in our lives, in our life, life to take place that will bring humility. I don't know about you, but I need a dose of humility from time to time. Amen? And I, and, I, and I encourage all of you to walk in a state of humility all the time. Because there's nothing that you have that you can take credit for. You know, often we take pride in, in, in somebody else's disposition. But, you know what? Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Amen? Amen. And, 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 and like Naomi, you'll say, I, I, I went out full, but I returned empty. But you know what? Allow God, allow God to, from time to time, God will strip things away from us. God will separate us from relationships. God will separate us from friendships for, for, for a short time because He wants to have all of us. Yeah. One thing about God is God will not take second place in our lives. You know, in Revelation, Jesus says, I, 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 would, I, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but now that you are lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Amen. So I encourage you all to be on fire and to be hot for God. Amen. That, that, that you return to Him with such a passion. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The beginning of the barley harvest starts on the second day of Passover. And just to give you some context, going back in time, the Israelites came out of Egypt during the Feast of Passover on the second day of Passover, which was at the start of the barley harvest. The Israelites walked a 50-day journey, the 50th day being Shavuot or Pentecost, right? When they received the Ten Commandments. Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead during Passover. He walked on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. The 40th day is Ascension Sunday. Jesus ascended to heaven. He was caught up into the, in, in, into the clouds and taken up to heaven. And then the, the, the 120 assembled in the upper room for 10 days. 40 plus 10 is 50, the 50th day being Pentecost. So that, that's the day in which the Holy Spirit came down into the upper room, and that's the day the church was born. Amen? Amen. Now, Naomi's journey 
was literally a death walk. I mean, I want you to imagine this. I mean, it, it's already bad enough that you have a reputation for abandoning your people during a crisis. That's, that's very bad, isn't it? And that's what's even worse is that you let your sons marry Moabitess. I'm not sure if Moabitess is a word, but they, they married women from the, from the nation of Moab. And what's even worse is that you brought one of them back with you. A total violation of the Torah. At least that's what it looks like. So her walk was a literal death walk. She was, she was being mocked. When people are saying, is this, asking, is this Naomi? They were literally mocking her. They weren't saying, oh Naomi, we've missed you. We haven't seen you in a long time. No, they were mocking her. And they go, then who is this Moabitess that they brought back with her? And... Have you ever, and I, I want you to think about your own personal death walks. Have any of you ever been in a place where you knew nobody wanted you there? Where, whether it's among relatives, you feel totally out of place, you're being totally mocked, you're being totally misunderstood, and everything about you has been misconstrued, misconstrued and, and, and there's no point defending yourself because, it, because the damage is, 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 is so horrible. I mean, it's like, the, what's the, it's like the, bridges, the, the bridge has collapsed behind you. There's nothing you can do to repair it. And, G, and this is paralleling the sufferings that Christ went through. In John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave Him power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. And within Ruth, what we're seeing are the seeds of Messiah. Amen? You're seeing the seeds of the future Mashiach of Israel. Yeah. And, and this is a walk that Naomi has to go through, and she's going through this journey alone. Yes, it was very difficult for Ruth. It was very humiliating for Ruth, but it was even worse for Naomi, because she was a Jewish woman, because she, she, was, she was a wife of a judge. And even more so because she was royalty. Amen? I mean, I shared this last time. I mean, imagine what, how the British would react if the, if the monarchy of England bailed and, and, and left England during a time of crisis. I mean, it, I mean, it would just add injury, it add insult to injury. And, and I, I would say this is what happened here. I mean, Elimelech bailed during a time of tremendous need. It was a time of two types of famine, famine of the Word of God and famine of uh, material famine. There was no rain. So, and in Ruth chapter 4, verse, so this is what's taking place. We're seeing just the degrading of Naomi, and, she, and she's going lower and lower and lower. But you know what? She remained faithful to the very end. And through it all, she looked out for the welfare of, Naomi, of Ruth, her former daughter-in-law. Ruth chapter 4, verse 14, we're going to see her restoration. Ruth chapter 4, verse 14. And it says, Then the woman, then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the, Lord, blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. This is, a, you see the, how drastically different this is than earlier in Ruth chapter 1, where, where they say, they say, is this Naomi? Now there's, the, the, the women are no longer saying that. Now the women are saying to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin. 
So, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, look at the transformation that takes place. When you walk with Hesed, and that is what Naomi demonstrated to Ruth, she would not rest until, she would not stop working until she found rest for Ruth, and to make sure Ruth was taken care of. Amen? Amen. And so when, when, when you go all the way with God, what God's going to bring to you, it, the rewards are astronomical. When you, when you go all the way with God with no selfish agenda, you have no agenda but God's kingdom. And it's not about what you want and what you need. Your concern is about the kingdom. Amen? And when, you're, when, you're, when, you're, when your heart is on the kingdom, God's going to bless you more than you could ever imagine. Amen? Because that's one of the themes of Ruth. How God rewards those that perform acts of hesed. The, the definition of hesed is loving kindness. The more accurate definition of hesed is selfless loving kindness. So delete the what's in it from... Remove what's in it for me. Amen? Because it's not about you. It's not about the selfies. It's about God's kingdom. Amen? And then in verse 16 of Ruth 4, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. See, this is Obed, the grandfather of the future king of Israel, David. And it says, he, she took the child, and guess what? Ruth did not nurse the child. Naomi nursed the child. So, though, I mean, so it, it's like the Lord restored, restored her youth to her, and she, she, she was able to nurse once again. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Amen. Guess what? We just finished the book of Ruth. Amen. 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 And it's only 846. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the name the father of David. Yeah. What the women prophesied is that God has restored to you kingship. Yeah. God has restored to you Elimelech. Let kingship come to me. See, it was already known prophetically that the and through the Torah. That the future king of Israel, all the kings of Israel, the anointed kings of Israel, the anointed bloodline kings, not the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom of Israel, that the anointed bloodline would come through the tribe of Judah. Amen? Amen. And Elimelech was part of that royal bloodline. <coughs> but because Elimelech bailed and, and, and abandoned his people during a time of famine, completely out of... Um, Character with the bloodline of Judah. Because the bloodline of Judah was known for taking ownership, taking responsibility, and about going all the way with God's people. Amen? But Elimelech's behavior was completely contrary to that. So Elimelech, so, so, so Elimelech bailed. He left his people. And guess what? The, the, the continuity, the continuity, the continuation of the royal bloodline ceased for, 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 for a short period of time, for about 10 years. So when Naomi came back to Israel, only she knew, only she knew how great the loss was. And when she came back mourning, and she said, don't call me Naomi, meaning pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because she knew what had taken place. She knew, because of the fault of her own family, that they lost the royal dynasty. That they had broke that there had been a broke a, a, a break in the continuation of the royal bloodline 
in which the kings of Israel, of Judah would come, and then and the same bloodline in which Messiah would come in the future. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And this bloodline began with, 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 with the union between Judah and Tamar, through, and through their, uh, one of their sons, Pharaoh's, and, continue, and then El Amalekah is part of that bloodline. But something happened here. There, there was a break in the continuation. And what God did here in Ruth chapter 4 is that God restored the broken breaches. Amen. And God brought a reparation to the bloodline. Amen. Amen. And so what we see, Gen, uh, Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 begins with, There was a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, who went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. So we see the problem. We see Elimelech living up to the selfishness of his name. And then we see all the devastation, the tohu and bohu that took place. But you know what? This story has a happy ending. Ruth chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. Actually, chapter 4, 14 through 17. God has restored and repaired the breaches of that bloodline. Amen? Amen. So that's why it says they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So what Samuel is showing is the, legitim the legitimacy of the Davidic bloodline. He's showing us that Ruth was a righteous woman, that she was a woman of Hesed, and that she was worthy to become inaugurated into the children, to the family of Israel, and that David was the right, the, the, the heir that God has chosen to become the king of Israel. Amen. And David became the second king of Israel after Saul. Naomi had reestablished the line her lineage and her role as a matriarch in the destiny of the Jewish people. In your own families, in your own bloodlines, God may use you to bring a reparation. You know, there may be those around you that have blown it. It could even be your kids that have blown it. But you know what? God, but you know what? God is a God of reparation. And God knows that we're all flawed. If any of you is perfect, please see me after the service. But as far as I know, every one of us has imperfection. Every single one of us. And every one of us has disconnection. Every one of us has character flaws. But you know what? God wants to bring a reparation. God wants to bring our reparation. And, and just as God reestablished re Naomi's lineage, restored kingship to her bloodline, God is going to bring reparation in your life, life as well. Amen? Amen? That means somebody in your life could squander all the wealth of your family, but you know what? God can use you to restore it. Because um, I heard one, I forget her name, but one Rebitz, and I love listening to, she said, if you've had it, you can get it back. Amen? If you've had it, you can get it back. Because if you gain territory in that particular area, you can get it back. If, if, if you come from a bloodline of tremendous wealth, and some bloodlines are just blessed with material wealth, it just seems like it's in their DNA. I have met families in India, it's like generation after generation of just tremendous wealth. I've met other families that's been generation after generation of poverty. But you know what? It, and then somebody would squander it and, and lose it all. But guess what? If you've had it, you can get it back. Amen? Amen. And if you haven't had it, God can, God can create it in you. Amen? Amen? So Naomi's story of disconnection and losing everything comes full circle to returning and raising her child in the land of Judah. And, and the, the, the chain of royalty is restored. So that's Naomi's transformation. That's just part one. Do you want to see Ruth's transformation? Yes. Yes. Ruth experiences a major transformation. Ruth chapter 1 verse 4. 
You know, once I go finish chapter 4, we go back to chapter 1. So let's go to chapter 1, verse 4. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Now, I shared this with you, with you before, but I'm going to say it again. R Ruth and Orpah were sister-in-laws by reason of marriage. Because they, they, because they married Malon and Kilion, right? Mm -hmm. so, so because of that because of that marriage, they became sisters-in-law. But guess what? They were also blood sisters. They were both daughters of royalty. They were both daughters of King Eglon of Moab. In English, we say Moab. In your Bibles, it's spelled M-O-A-B. In Hebrew, we say Moab. Replace the B with a B. And the Hebrew letter bet, depending on how it's written, can be pronounced as a, as a bet or, or as a bet. So like a B or a B. Now, so who, who was the father of Orpah and Ruth? King Eglon. King Eglon. Who was the father of King Eglon? I didn't tell you yet. The answer is going to shock you. All right, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a minute. You can pull out your smart devices. I'd be interested to see to find out what you find out. And if you're watching on Facebook Live, please just make a note, uh, you know, in the comments and let me know what you think. Who was the father of King Eglon? All right, if we had Jeopardy music, I'd play it right now. Who was the father of King Eglon? The answer is? Wrong answer. As Kavi would say, wrong. <laughs> wrong answer. The, it actually shocked me when I found out. Balak was the father of... Eglon. See, this is a royal bloodline for Moab. And Balak was the one that hired the prophet Balaam to curse Israel. So within this bloodline, there, there's, there's an incest, because that bloodline came about through uh, relations between Lot and one of his, and his, one of his daughters. There's, there's idolatry in this bloodline. Incest every form of sexual promiscuity is in this bloodline, and divination and witchcraft are part of this bloodline. See, these are all the negative things that Ruth had to overcome. Now, one thing I want you all to see, I want you to see, I'm going to articulate this to the best of my ability. If there's one person in life that, that grew up in the right home, righteous parents, the right upbringing, um, had no lack of... Uh, Finances, schooling, and everything, everything, everything they needed, they, they had, and even more so. And they had loving and nurturing parents. And then, then you, so everything's going good, and they have very few dispositions, right? I mean, everything's very good for them. But then you have another person that grew up in a, in a, in, in a home where there's divination, um, all kind of wickedness going on, um, uh, uh, just, just every kind of horrible, horrible behavior going on drunkenness going on, adultery taking place. Mm -hmm. 
when God judges each individual, God's going to judge each individual within the context, within the framework of the situation they're in. So the person that has it all together is not going to be judged in the same way as one that has to overcome major disposition. I know this is very hard for many of us to grasp, but you know, God, you know, we always treat God like everything's black and white. But you know what? God looks upon the environment. He looks upon our circumstances. And for Ruth, she came out of every negative disposition. And she had to overcome things that other people didn't, did not have to overcome. For example, the children of Israel in living in Bethlehem were surrounded by Torah. They were studying in Torah. They grew up in a righteous environment. They, they grew up in a holy environment. So they didn't have to face all the temptations that, that somebody like Ruth had to face. But Ruth had to overcome idolatry. She had to overcome even maybe um, dispositions towards uh, immorality. And see, and God sees all that. And, and Ruth made such a conversion that her righteousness exceeded everyone that lived in Israel. Her hesed, I mean, total transformation. So, you know, often we judge one another, well, this person's not, did, you know, we judge one another, we say, well, this person's like this, because uh, and, and, we, it's our human nature to speak <coughs> negatively of those that we think to be inferior to us. Yeah. But you know what, that's not how God judges. And God sees exactly where each and every one of us has come out from. Amen. The struggles that you've been through, the rejections that you've been through, the misunderstandings that you've been through. You may not have been the favorite child growing up. And you know what? There's no such thing as a perfect parent. So don't go looking, but don't blame your parents for all the things that went wrong. Because you have, we all have free will, and we can choose to go all the way with God or not go all the way. Amen. Amen. And. And it's really amazing that, that, so Ruth and Naomi's, I'm sorry, Ruth and Orpah's grandfather was Balak, the wicked Balak, the wicked King Balak that hired Balaam to curse Israel. And again, another thing I want to show you is if you're royalty, you're, you're all, almost always going to marry your, your children to royalty. So Orpah and Ruth were royalty, right? Well, their Elimelech married his sons, who were also royalty, Malon and Kilion, to the royal royalty of Moab. And I'm just for, we don't have time to go through this tonight, but I encourage you to read Judges chapter three. Verses 16, 18, 20, and 21. Actually, I'll just share part of this with you. There's a judge in Israel. His name was Ehud. Ehud made himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he girded it on his right thigh under his clothes. Verse 18. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he presented a gift to the parents of Orpah and Ruth. And Ehud came to him, as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So imagine a judge coming to you, saying, I have a message from God to you. And Eglon, the parents of, Nahum, of Ruth and Orpah, what does he do? He stands up. As wicked as King Eglon was, he stood up to hear the word of God. 
And the rabbis teach that because he stood up to honor God's word, God blessed them with a daughter that would become part of the Davidic bloodline. Wow. But his ending wasn't very good. He says, I have a message from God for you. He arose from his seat, and Ehud re reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. That's not the kind of word I would want to receive. But that's the word, that's the word that um, Eglon received. Now, let's talk about Ruth's transformation. I just wanted to insert that in. Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned. That means not only did she physically return geographically to Israel, it means that she repented. She repented for the sins and the errors of her family. She wasn't blaming Elimelech for anything, even though Elimelech was at fault. She took responsibility. And, and, it's, and that's what Daniel did in the book of Daniel. He made intercession for his people. He didn't say, God, these stiff-necked people that you've given me. No, he made himself part of the people when he prayed. Amen? Yeah. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, only one returned, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Then we go to chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 21. And Ruth the Moabitess. You see, over and over again it says, Ruth the Moabitess. See, that's, that's not a positive thing. That's a very negative thing to say. Yeah. That would be kind of like saying, let's say there was somebody that was part of the, this ministry that used to be a murderer. But, you know, they repented and they're, they're, not, they're, they're not like that anymore. But, every, but this guy's name is Joe. I don't think there's any Joe in this room. And I think I'm safe because I think there's only like two guys in this, two guys in this room. Uh, of the, three counting myself. So we will say, Joe, Joe is, is Joe coming tonight? And you go, oh, you mean Joe the murderer. And you keep identifying the Joe as the murderer, even yeah. though he's not a murderer anymore. Yeah. In this case, they keep talking about Ruth, but they, they don't just say Ruth. It keep, the scripture keeps saying, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess. Because Samuel wants, to, wants you to pay attention to the predicament that Ruth is in. He keeps referring to her as Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess, because that's very important. Because when she's called Ruth the Moabitess, she's being called Ruth the foreigner. She's being called Ruth the person that's not permitted into our neighborhood. She is a person who is not permitted into the congregation of Israel. And the way, they, the way it's justified is from Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 and 4, right from the Word of God. It says, No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None belonging to them shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. So, two peoples are forbidden from converting to, to, to Judaism. And those two groups are the Ammonites and the Moabites. Now, I'll, I'm going to ask you a question. When I say the word Moabite, is that masculine or feminine? I, I heard it right. Uh, when I say Moabite, is it masculine or feminine? Masculine. So I'll say it together. Masculine, masculine right? I want you to remember that. 
Because the scripture here is... Because what took place later is that Boaz, who was a judge in Israel, he and the other men deliberated at the gate. It was a gathering of the Sanhedrin, of the Jewish leadership. And they litigated whether Ruth should be permitted into the congregation of Israel. This is not written clearly in scripture, but from rabbinic sources, you can find this out, and it aligns right up with the word of God. They litigated whether, should we allow Ruth in or not? Because the Torah says no Moabite is permitted. And you know what they litigate, what, what the outcome was? No male Moabite can convert, but a female may convert. Ruth was not a Moabite, she was a Moabitess. So women were allowed to convert. So guess what? There was a, I'm going to call this a loophole in the Torah. Amen? So you can see, every time she's called Ruth the Moabitess, that's a very derogatory term. It, it, it's, it's cruel. It's a very, and, and she has to be mocked like this. She's being mocked and she's being ridiculed. Everyone's judging her. She's a, I mean, it's bad enough being identified as a foreigner. She's already grieving because her husband died. She's also probably grieving that her father-in-law died. She's lost everything. She's given up royalty. She, 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 she's, she, she's like the poorest of the poor. She has to go out and glean and gather the sheaves like any poor person. She has nothing. She owns no property. Being a, a, being a royalty, being a daughter of the king, being a princess, and now, now she's a pauper. And then in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, because you know, all of us have to identify with something. In Ruth, Naomi has lost everything, but now she builds a new connection with, Na with Ruth and calls her, her daughter-in-law. So it's, it's like that connection still remains. But now it's a different type of relationship because now she's looking out for the good of Ruth. Now, in verse 12 of Ruth 1, it says, Turn back, my daughters-in-law, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Then in verse 22, it says, And Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now we know that we know that Naomi, we know that Orpah weeped upon her shoulder, you know, weeped upon her neck, and went back home. And Ruth refused to go back home. She cleaved to Naomi. So Ruth is known as one. She's called the one who clung. I want you, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, "You are the one who clung like Ruth." You are the one who clung like Ruth. That that means you're going to go all the way with God. Amen, Sister Martha. You're going all the way with God. Amen, Sister India. You're going all the way with God. Then Ruth is compared to Judah's wife, Tamar, for her selfless actions to ensure the continuation of the line of the house of Judah. So Ruth is the one that clung. But in contrast, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law farewell. Very, very similar to the way Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. He betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss. And the rabbis referred to Orpah as the one who kissed not a good kiss, it's a, bad, it's a negative kiss. I don't know if we have a similar idiom in English, but this Hebraic idiom is, is like, it's like, the, it's like a kiss of betrayal. Now let's talk about Ruth's relationship to Naomi. See, earlier I talked about how people identify with you. 
and you're going to experience identity transformation through the anointing. And we're seeing the anointing working throughout these, these verses. Let's look at our, you know, and you know, as we read this, you can examine your own relationships. If you're a mother-in-law, you can examine the relationship with your daughter-in-law. If you're, you know, you know, whatever. The Torah teaches you how to handle every single type of relationship. And Ruth's relationship to Naomi. The Midrashim tell us of two different orientations in their descriptions of Naomi's relationship to Ruth. One is positive and one is negative. I'm going to share both the positive and the negative with you. The first example, the, the first um, opinion is, and I, I actually agree with both opinions. The first opinion is that, and this is from Ruth Zuta, portrays Naomi as being ashamed of her Gentile daughter-in-law, and therefore does not want them accompanying her back to Bethlehem. And, and I, I really do <coughs> identify with this one because Ruth is more of a liability to Naomi than a support. Mm -hmm. A tremendous liability. And that's why when she's coming back, not only are they asking the question, the women are asking, is, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? And then they're also looking at, 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 at Ruth and who's this foreigner, this stranger, this Moabitess that they brought back with her. So, I mean, so she is being ridiculed, but even more than being ridiculed for the situation of what took place at El Amalek year, 10 years ago, she's being mocked because she brought back a foreigner with her from a forbidden nation. Wow. Then another interpretation, and I agree with this opinion as well too, even though they contradict one another, is that Ruth is, is perceived from the outset as a faithful servant to Naomi as a faithful daughter-in-law to Naomi. Mm. I think they're both simultaneously true. Because yes, because not only is Ruth's character being developed, Naomi's character is being refined as well. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how righteous you are, there's always room for refinement. Mm -hmm. You know, not many of us are as, per as perfect as Ed in this room, but we all have room for improvement. Character improvement. Amen? Amen. I get, two, I get two licenses to pick on Brother Ed at each service. <laughs> Number three's on its way. So, <laughs> and then we go to Ruth chapter 2. And one thing that I see throughout the text, and I don't have an answer to this one yet. I thought I did, but I don't any longer. Is why is, why is it always Naomi is, I mean, Naomi refers to Ruth as daughter-in-law and then daughter Daughter-in-law, then daughter. Same thing about Orpah. Daughter-in-law, then daughter. Because you know what? She wasn't either one to Naomi. Because the relationship was severed when their husbands died. But what takes place in Ruth 2.22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is well, my daughter, that you go out with his maidens, lest in another field you be molested. So she's basically saying, continue to glean in the field of Moab. In, in the field of Boaz, I'm sorry. Then in chapter 3, you know, she's gone from, she's, she's been called the Moabitess. She's been called daughter-in-law. She's been called daughter. But in chapter 3, she, now she's called a virtuous woman. And it begins with, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Should I not seek a home for you, that it may be well with you? And it goes on, and so everything's turning around, being transformed for Ruth now. Everything's being turned around. 
is a total reparation being taken place. And the reparation is taking place is because they return to the land where there is bread. The bread represents the word of God. The bread represents the presence of God. The bread represents the anointing. And when you return to the place where there is bread, like the house that you're in right now, when you return to the place where the word of God is being preached and, and taught under the anointing, guess what? Transformation will take place. An identity transformation will take place in your lives just as it took place in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. Amen? And then I'm going to, I'll get, I was going to skim through this, but let me read it. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I, not seek should I not seek a home for you, that it may be well with you? Verse 9. He said, this is Boaz speaking, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Spread your skirt over your maidservant, for you are next of kin. Now, when we read this scripture, we interpret the scripture within a 20th century, 21st century a context, and we're thinking things that are not very holy. He's not saying, throw your skirt over me. She's not telling him, have immoral relationship, immoral relations with me. What she is doing is, this was the tradition of that time in Israel. When, when, a, when, when a woman was left without children, and her husband died, there was a law in Israel, and it's still part of the Torah, and that law is, if your, hus if, if your husband dies, not and without leaving a son or someone to continue in the name of the father, then what can take place is a next of kin, maybe a brother, maybe a cousin, can 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 marry the the widow, and the widow will conceive, and that child, that son, would continue on the bloodline of the deceased husband. So what Ruth is doing, she is asking Boaz, I'm asking you to to. Perform a leverage marriage with me and restore the name of my husband, Malan. Mm -hmm. See, she's not concerned about herself. She's very selfless, total act of Hesed. She's more concerned about the name of her husband and his bloodline continuing than she is about herself. This is not a Disney story. This is not a story of romance. Amen. And according to the Midrash, Boaz died the night after the union. And what, what, and what Boaz says to her is, My daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of worth. See, he recognized her character. He recognized her hesed. She was more righteous than probably any person in Israel. And verse 18, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. This is, this is Naomi speaking to her, to Ruth. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So Boaz knew there was a, one man that was a closer relationship than him. So the other person was given fir first right of refusal. And if he refused as he did, then Boaz was next in line. And Boaz took Ruth for himself and married her, bought all the property, and restored everything that Naomi had lost. Not only did he get, not only did Naomi and Ruth get back everything that Elimelech had, they also gained everything that Boaz had. Everything. God restored everything. When you perform acts of hesed, selfless acts of loving kindness, God will restore to you much more than you, you could ever conceive. Yeah. Amen? Amen? That is the kind of God that we serve. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen? Yeah.
And again, reparation, restoration, takes re redemption takes place when you return to the place of bread. This is your place of rest. And this is the place where you are going to experience identity transformation through the anointing. Amen. 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 Both Ruth demonstrates tremendous hesed. Both and Boaz demonstrates tremendous hesed. Boaz took responsibility in this situation. And he promised Ruth that he would redeem her and he, and he fulfilled his word. And again, it's like these two people were so compatible for one another. Two people of tremendous hesed. Yeah. Let's look at Ruth's redeeming qualities. Her charitable acts. The Bible describes Ruth's royalty to Naomi as charitable acts, as, as acts of hesed. Because guess what? There was no longer a mother and daughter-in-law relationship. But even though the relationship by, was severed, Ruth still served her as a daughter-in-law. Right? Another character trait of Ruth was her great modesty. Mod and, and I'm going to ask um, Terry, what is modesty? When you think about modesty. To dress properly and speak properly. To dress modestly, yeah, I mean properly, and speak properly. Don't use swear words, and et cetera. Excellent. So it's all the protocol of this ministry, right? Yes, yes. All the protocol of Dr. Cross ministry yes, is, is, yes. Is, is, is tremendous modesty. Yeah. And the, 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 the Torah is really expressing the modesty of, of Ruth. Boaz took note of her behavior in the fields. And that the way that she behaved was so modest. And when he saw her character, he began to ask about her to learn more about her. He wasn't looking at her and going, look, she's a good looking girl. He was noticing her character traits. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that always picture the stories, I can't, you know, for the single ladies that say, I can't wait until I meet my Boaz. Or the, or the man saying, I can't wait until I meet, meet my Ruth. Um, let's bring this into context. Ruth was 40 years old. Boaz was 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and they lived happily in the <laughs> One of my goals as a Torah teacher is to take the Disney out of the Word of God. <laughs> but this was the most beautiful union that ever took place. And probably the two most compatible people in all of the Word of God. Boaz took note of her actions, and when he saw she was pleasing and her actions were pleasing, he began to ask about her. And that's from Ruth Rabbah 4 9. And, he, and they keep referring to her as pleasing. She was pleasing. She was pleasing. Yeah. Well, guess what? Naomi's name means pleasant or pleasing. So when they call her pleasing, they're saying, you're just like Naomi. Yeah. You know what? Because she was connected to Naomi. It was almost like an Elijah and Elisha type relationship. She was connected to, 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 to that anointing. And what happens is when you connect yourself to an anointing, that same anointing will come upon you. Amen? It's not just the anointing that will come upon you, the power and the gifts of the Spirit of God, the character traits will come upon you too. Because when, when Ruth says, put your garment over me, it's like let your anointing come over me. Let your glory come over me. Amen? And one thing about Ruth, and there's a reason why I asked Terry to explain it to, to us, is... When the women were out in the field gleaning, the other poor women in the field would, would bend forward so they wouldn't seem to be so modest. Yeah. 
you can fill in the blanks. I don't need to be explicit. But when 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 Ruth would glean, she 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 would go down straight and and sit down and glean and pick up of the fallen Amen. Uh, wheat. Amen. Amen? Amen. Because she was so modest that she would not expose any part of her body unnecessarily. Amen. Because she was a woman of tremendous modesty. She was more modest than even the women of Israel. And, th and that says a lot because she came from, a, from a, a people that were very immoral, that had no modesty. And yet she demonstrated more modesty than the Israelites in Bethlehem. And, and she would conceal herself. And, and Boaz took note of that. Boaz regarded Ruth's inner qualities so much greater than her physical beauty. And, and Ruth was an extremely beautiful woman, even in the outward appearance. Tremendously beautiful. And that's why um, Naomi told Ruth, you know, stay in Boaz's field, because she was afraid that somebody would try to, to rape her. But, but, but so she was under the protection of Boaz, and Boaz commanded the men to, to stay away from her. And Ruth is an exemplary figure in the, in, the, in, the, in the Word of God. I mean, the way that she accepted the Jewish faith, the way of her own free will, she, she knew the Torah so well. How did she know that she needed to go glean in the fields? Because she knew the Torah. Her mother-in-law taught her the Torah. How did, she, how did she know that she needed to ask for leverage marriage? Because she knew the Torah of Moses. Her mother-in-law taught it to her. She knew the Word of God very well and the word of God transformed her some people ask me why do you teach Torah because Torah is my lifeline Torah was transformed every Amen. part of my character there are things that I have not been able to transform in years but because of, of studying and teaching Torah God has brought rep transformation in my life Amen. 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 And, and teaching and studying Torah has also brought tremendous crosses in my life as well you know what Bob and I welcome those uh, but we embrace our crosses because you know what? That's the price we have to pay for the anointing. Amen. Amen. It's the pr and it's what's required to keep us humble. Yes. Amen. Amen. It's, uh, and the reason why we go, we go live on Facebook and other places is so that others will receive the word of God. Amen. Because this word should not be limited to this room. It, this needs to get out because this word will bring healing. This word will bring transformation. Amen. 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 And you know what? If the Christians reject it, there's a world out there that will accept it. Amen. Amen. Be because... Often those that have everything miss out on everything because they're like the rich man that Jesus spoke about in a parable. But if we become humble, we become meek, guess what? The world is your inheritance. Amen? We don't want to be like Elimelech. You know, Elimelech, all he cared about was himself. All he cared about was his immediate family. Elimelech's identification with his wealth was stronger than his identification with the poor. How many of you in this room want to become an Elimelech? I didn't see a single hand come up. <laughs> because Elimelech's identification with his wealth was stronger than his identification with the poor. But Boaz experienced a tremendous transformation through Hesed. We're just about done. I told you four hours. I'm just going to take three. Boaz's transformation through Hesed. Let's turn to Judges chapter 12, verses 8 and through 10. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. So after Jephthah, Ibzan became a judge in Israel. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, 
Can you imagine having 30 sons? And that's not all. He also had 30 daughters. He gave, he gave a marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons, and he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibsen died and was buried at Bethlehem. Now, aren't you all wondering why I bring in a story of Ibsen after the beautiful story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz? It doesn't make sense, does it? Do you know why? Ibsen is Boaz. According to the rabbinic commentary, Ibsen is the name that Boaz is given in the book of Judges. So in, in Judges chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, we only have 8, 9, 10, there's only three verses that talk about the man. He had 60 kids. I don't know if he had one wife, but he had 60 children, 60 kids. I heard one rabbi say, I think it was Rabbi Ian Shaver said that, 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 that. I, I, hope, I hope it wasn't one, 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 one mother. Because that, that, that poor mother. And that wasn't me, that was a, that was a rabbi speaking. And Rabbi Ian Schaefer is one of my favorite rabbis to listen to on YU Torah. And, so, and then when you go to Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 and 22, you know, so Ruth and Naomi are returning to Bethlehem, right? So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now we, and you keep saying, Sandy, why do you keep repeating this over and over and over again? We've read this verse about a hundred times since, since, one of, you know, since the beginning of preparation for Shibboleth. Well, guess what? We're going to read it again and again and again. The question that you should be asking is, why were, they, why were all the people of the town gathered together? You can go ahead and ask the question of your neighbor. Why were they all gathered together? Why were they all gathered because the whole town had to be stirred. Do you know why they were stirred? They, Ruth and Naomi came into Bethlehem during the funeral of Boaz's wife. So, but Boaz isn't grieving. He's lost his wife. But through this whole thing, God is preparing the way for the Davidic dynasty to to continue on, or at least to, to get the seed ready for the preparation of the dynasty by bringing Boaz and Ruth together. <coughs> so Boaz is identified as Judge Ibsen from Judges 12. Ibsen had 30 sons and daughters from, pre from previous marriage. Boaz was a widow, or Ruth was a widow. Both Ruth and Boaz were people of tremendous, tremendous hesed. And these are the two that God brought together to perpetuate the Davidic bloodline. Isn't that awesome? So their second marriage and the birth of their son constitute a healing of both of their lives. And God will bring healing in your life as well. Amen? Amen. And, El, and Boaz was a man of tremendous wealth. Not just financial wealth, but also spiritual wealth as well. He was a man that knew the Word of God. He was a Torah scholar. He was a teacher of the Word of God. And Boaz was held in such high regard that when he came in, look what, look what takes place in, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Look at your neighbor and say, the Lord be with you. 
And look at your neighbor, look at your other neighbor and say, the Lord of God bless you. The Lord God bless you. See, they greeted one another in God's name. Isn't that beautiful that we greet one another in God's name? He doesn't take credit for his success. He comes in with humility. He doesn't walk in and say, I'm Boaz, the great leader, and you are all going to serve me. Not at all. He comes, in with, he comes in with so much humility. Not like Terry, but he walk, comes in with so much humility. <laughs> he doesn't take credit for his success, like Terry. And the result is they work, they're, 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 his workers, his employees, want their boss to become even more successful. That is a relationship that should exist, a healthy relationship between an employer and an employee, or a pastor and those that work in the Amen. ministry. Amen? Amen? That the leader comes in with humility, Amen. and it puts the interest of the ones that are working even above their own interest. And, and we serve in Dr. Michelle Corral's ministry. That's exactly what her heart is. Amen. She, she, she's a servant. She, she is a true servant leader. Yeah. And she puts the needs of others above her own needs. And she wants others to be more successful than even herself. And when you have this kind of healthy attitude, guess what happens? A cohesion takes place between you and the ones that work for you. Because they are vested in, in each other's success. And when you have someone that really takes interest in you, Guess what? The, the worker is going to work even harder. If they, if they have a good work ethic, they, they'll work even harder. And they'll, and, they'll, and they'll look out for you and they'll protect all that you have. And that's how God deals with us. God is looking out for your success as well. Because yeah. God is our employer in a sense. We are his employees. We are his employees. We are stewards. He's entrusted us. So how do we handle the gifts that God has given us? Do we handle things that He gives? Do we multiply what He's given us? Do we bring our tithes into the storehouse? You know, we're, all of us are required to take care of the poor. And this ministry is taking care of the poor in, in Jordan. One project, one project that Dr. Corral has taken on is that, she, that there are so many refuge, Iraqi refugee children that are without education. And their parents cannot afford to educate them in the Jordanian school system because they can't get work permits to earn money to pay the $1,000 to educate these children in the system. And I'm telling you, of these, and I believe this with my entire heart, those, in, those children are going to be our next, next leaders of our next generation. Mm -hmm. Future presidents, future leaders, future doctors, future pastors, future attorneys. God is raising them up. And we have the opportunity to, 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 yeah. to support them. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And, and, and when you take a vested interest in the poor, guess what? That is what God's going to honor. And that is what God's going God's to God's see that, and God's going to increase the wealth in your life. Because God does not prosper us so we can only take care of ourselves. If that's your attitude, then you're behaving like Elimelech. But I want you to be like a Ruth and Boaz, that you're going to take notice of those in need just because you love them. Amen? Amen. And I'm at, tonight, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you all to bring your tithes and stop and offerings into the storehouse. I'm telling you, this work in Jordan is a phenomenal work. These kids are, have been traumatized by ISIS. They, 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 they have, the families have escaped Iraq, and now they're in Jordan. And they're refugees. They've been stripped of everything. Many of them have 
dream, I mean, just nightmares all the time? Yes. I mean, yes. I mean, how could, I mean, an adult can't process this trauma. How much worse is it for a child? I, mean, I can't even begin to imagine. I cannot even begin to imagine the trauma that they're experiencing. And I'm telling you, that is the kind of hesed that God will take notice of. And that is the kind of attitude that God's going to bless. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. But I'm going to invite you all just for a moment. Let's just stand and let's just worship the Lord. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for this holy word this evening. And Lord, I just ask you to multiply this word to your people, Lord God. Father, I, Heavenly Father, I just pray that everyone in this room and everyone listening and watching tonight, Lord God, will experience identity transformation through the anointing, through the power of the Spirit of God. For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Let's just bless the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you.